Hello and welcome to Running Inside Out Podcast, where we talk about the races we ran in, the races we're not in, and getting outside to see what's going on inside the Rochester running scene. In this episode, Clem Chung tells us about how he got started running back around uh, 2017, the things involved in planning self-supported marathons and other uh, long-term endeavors, and his, uh, quote, four-year plan to finish a 100-miler, which culminated in his attempt at Mighty Mosquito 99 uh, this year. But first, a little business up front. Here are all the things. Uh, show notes can be found right in your podcast player. It's true. Check out your player now, and you should see some links about the Great North Run, Mighty Mosquito 99, and Jen Malik. So there's that. The website, if you go to runninginsideoutpodcast.com, you can find all the episodes, some cool show art that you may never have seen before, as well as bios of the guests. The coolest feature is uh, going to the guest page and clicking on any guest and seeing a list of every single episode they were on. It's, you know, work, but it works. Uh, social things, there is a Strava run group, Running Inside Out Podcast, and Instagram at Run Inside Out, and a message board. Yep. An old school, new message board where we can chat about all the running and the running related things. No ads, no data mining, no social graphs or anything else yucky. Just chatting about running. It's at community.ourrunning.chat or, you know, just find it in the show notes. Again, the easiest way, right? There's uh, We're building it. There's a race calendar and a place for groups to share their group runs. And admittedly, it's all just getting started. But if you're a person who likes to be in on the ground floor and to build things and help uh, them grow in a good, positive, wonderful direction, then uh, this is going to be the place for you. Lastly, Patreon. I am redoubling the efforts here on Patreon to build us up for the future, make us sustainable and whole. And, uh, you know, I also owe it to everyone who listens and relies on this and everyone who's supported it over the years to make it sustainable. So the Patreon supporters are the ones who keep this thing going. The monthly support really truly helps with all of those costs and monies and things that are needed to make a thing. Um, and additionally, I really need to save up for an entry into the Barkley marathons. So you know, help a brother out. I know times are weird for everyone and some of us need help more than others, but I also know that some people are actually looking for ways to be able to lend a hand and giving feels good. So I want to say thanks to the most recent contributors, uh, Michael McTie and Sam Bonacci. Did y'all know that uh, Michael started running when all this crazy COVID stuff began and he already has like six ultras under his belt? including uh, the great virtual race across Tennessee. And uh, if you want to find Sam, well, you got to get up pretty early in the morning, like 4 a.m. early. That's when he does this thing. Don't hit that snooze button even once. You'll find uh, he and his pup are often finished before the sun comes up. So go catch Sam or say hi to Mike at Rochester Running Company. So if you're in a good financial place, and that's a like serious number one requirement, if you're in a decent place uh, and you look forward to this podcast each week and it inspires, educates, or entertains you regularly, consider becoming a supporter. 
check out the homepage or the bottom of the show notes right inside the very podcast player you are listening to. Click the banner and please know that any amount of support is appreciated. Keep in mind, the number one way you can always support the show is to tell a friend and help them subscribe. Oh yeah, um, so rate and like and subscribe and slap the bell, drop a fave, swipe right, do all the things to uh, feed that algorithm and help people find the podcast. Okay, with all that taken care of, Clem has some stories about run streaks, self-supported 50Ks, and his quest to engineer the perfect run. So... Let's get into the trails, training, food, friends, and yes, even feelings of runners just like you. How's it going, sir? I'm doing really well. All right. Welcome to uh, Rio Studios. I love it here. (laughs) (laughs) You've got a waterfront view. You've got the sunlight. This is great. It's it's all things, right? All things suburbia. Even (laughs) Even a barking dog. Right. Yeah. Um, so when we when we first discussed this podcast idea, we were going to talk about Mighty Mosquito mm-hmm. 99. Yeah. And we are going to talk about um, how that was your first trail race. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, yeah, absolutely. That was uh, somewhat of a I fell into it, but then it kind of became a conscious decision, like the more I thought about it. So, yeah, that was uh, I just thought it would be really cool to say that my my first trail race was a hundred miler. Right. Right. And that's, <laughs> it's, it's something. All right. Yeah. Um, and so you had to have fallen in with the wrong crowd in order to get that as a good idea. <laughs> yeah. That happens. I'm sure anyone who's run a trail ultra, that, mm-hmm. that's really like the story, right? Yeah. Like, I wonder how many people come up with the idea of running an ultra, like, you know, out of the blue. Well, I mean, you know, I think when you, dive into my running history like that wasn't you know obviously the first thing that I thought that I would do and actually Mosquito wouldn't have been my first um, my first ultra or my first trail race had Green Lakes happened the year before so that was the one that I'd signed up for was the 50k in 2020 right much more modest moderate right. you know and that you know that reasonable was, first ultra and that was taking advice from some very reasonable people that i knew <laughs> saying oh yeah what's a good first ultra race to do and he said yeah green lakes you know it's a nice genteel course you know you do the loops it's a beautiful location like you'll get you'll have a lot of fun so mm-hmm. you know that's kind of what i was gearing up to and then i got the rug pulled from under me about three weeks before the race. Right. So, so then, yeah, then there was a decision about what I really wanted out of it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I ended up actually doing a 50 K, but just kind of a self-supported one. Um, and that was kind of interesting. <laughs> yeah. The, um, it wasn't obviously, you know, I'd been training for a trail race for I don't know, about two or three months up until that point so i also kind of got into the idea of running loops like originally i was like i don't know if i want to run loops you know i get bored pretty easily so you know going and doing the same thing you know round and round again didn't really appeal to me at first but then after i had to think about okay well how how do i think about the logistics of doing my own 50k course I was like, well, there's something to be said about returning to the same point over and over again, If especially if you're not sure you can do that kind of distance. 
So I know like a couple of my friends said, well, you can go to this park and you could kind of like, you know, take all your provisions, like leave in the trunk of your car and stuff. And I was like, well, if it's going to be like that, then why not just have everything at my house? So that's how I ended up starting out like plotting a route. So with Green Lakes, it's 50K and there's four eight mile loops roughly. Mm-hmm. And it's a figure eight, I think. So you do end up coming back, I think, more than that when you you cross over that figure eight. Um, but I designed basically four eight mile loops with the start and end point being my house um, with the intention of trying to loop in as many trails um, as possible within basically a four mile radius, if you think about it. So where I live in Brighton, you know, there aren't that many trails that you can get to and back within four miles. So I tried to hit as many as I could, but still the majority of that 50K was on the road. And um, I was very optimistic about my time. Um, I think I set like a a 10 minute pace goal um, and it didn't turn out to be a very realistic goal. It's your first 50K. You learn a lot, right? So was did you do it on the day that Green Lakes would have been? Yes. Then? Yeah, I right. wanted it to try. And, I wanted to try and keep it as close to the experience as it would have been. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, and that was kind of part of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously, you know, I didn't have to travel, so I didn't have to worry about logistics of do I stay overnight or, or that kind of stuff. You know, I just got up when I was ready. I left the house, and then just it started. So. So you had your you had an aid station at every eight miles. And an aid station which was fully refrigerated <laughs> and I had a, you know, a, a very comfortable um, seating position if I needed it. Right. Yeah. Um, you had all the shoes that you could possibly yep. change into. <laughs> right. Yeah. So, and, and so you didn't keep to your pace, but how else did it go? Well, I mean, it was, I tried to keep to that pace and actually I was a little bit um, faster than that pace, which I really shouldn't have been for the first eight miles. So I was kind of between a nine and a 10 minute pace. And, you know, this is when I was gunning for a nine minute marathon. Like that's kind of like my goal pace for my marathon at the time. So, you know, it felt super easy. It was, it was a nice day. It was in August, but it wasn't super, super hot. Um, But definitely by about mile 14, I was, you know, feeling that (laughs) I'd gone out way too hard. And, um, and then, like, the, the way I designed it, the second, or sorry, the third and fourth loops were the ones which had more of the hills in them. So there's more elevation. Like, it still was pretty flat in comparison to some of the other um, ultras I've done. But it was, you know, the fatigue had started to set in. I started getting cramps in pretty much every single part of my legs. Um, and so I was walking a lot after that. I think overall it took seven hours and 11 minutes uh, with a good like two hours just completely stopped like sitting down I sat down a couple of times at home one of the loops I designed to stop off at Rochester running so I I stopped over there and chatted with Jonathan for 20 minutes Um, and then just kind of went on and just did it till I finished so that's that's good to only spend 20 minutes at running company. <laughs> I stop in to chat with Jonathan and I'm like, oh, it's dark out. Yeah, right. Right. <laughs> like, what happened? Sure. Yeah. So, okay. So what did you take away from that? You started out a little bit fast. You got a little crampy, but you powered through and you did it. Yeah. So, you know, I was had my watch. I took a pic from my watch when I was 26.3 miles in. I said, yeah, done my first ultra. So <laughs> no matter what happens, I can say, I've, you know, I've achieved yeah. that. 
Um, so I just kind of kept going. And, you know, when I started to cramp up, I, you know, slowed down to a walk or sometimes just kind of stopped, sat down and just kept going until I finished. Um, so I think, you know, the, the big thing was, you know, just having the endurance and the uh, fortitude to get through that and say that I did it was was a huge thing. Obviously, it was disappointing not to get, um, you know, a, a pace goal or a time goal that I had set for myself, but I didn't know what to expect. So, right. you know, I'm pretty easygoing when it, kinds, when it comes to that kind of thing. So what it did change, though, was my intention was to up my distance every year. So I had kind of had like a four-year plan to go from a 50K then to a 50-mile, 100K, and then a 100-mile. And it was so miserable. Like I was in so much pain after doing that 50K that I kind of had to reevaluate and say, well, if my ultimate goal is going to be 100 miles. I'm going to have to wait four years to get there. <laughs> like I just want to get it done. I'd like to see how much pain I can get in right away. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> so that's kind of why I, I signed up for Mosquito this year. Um you know, and I, it wasn't it wasn't a given that I was going to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, the goals I'd kind of set for myself for this year were uh, run twenty twenty one miles in twenty twenty one, set my uh, road marathon PR, um, and tr- and go for a sub four marathon there, and then do the hundred miler. But my intention originally was to kind of do a fall race. I thought it would take me a while. I was going to do my marathon in the springtime and I thought it would take me like six months to get from there up to the fitness I needed to, to do a hundred miler. And then, you know, I kind of put it off, focused on the, the marathon first of all. And then I started looking into actual races that I could do. And I guess the, the big thing for me was I wanted to stay local or relatively local. I want to be something that I could drive to because I knew that I was going to need a crew and I didn't want to have to make people go to like Pennsylvania or Vermont or somewhere like that without any idea whether or not I could even come close to finishing a hundred miler. Like I, I don't want people to waste their time basically. Right. That's a, that's a commitment. Right. Right. So I could do it like if it was only down to me and this is before I realized, you know, some races, you know, they, they have, um, you can sign up and they'll have paces for you there. So you don't have to worry about people traveling with you. Um, I didn't know any of that at the time. So, you know, I thought, well, let me just keep it local. You know, I have a pretty established group of friends who I know would support me in this effort. And then once I do it, you know, then I can f- say, okay, um, you know, I know what it feels like. I know what I'm going to need. And then I can plan it out a little bit more strategically if I wanted to do something a little bit further afield. Right. So, you you decide you had a, a four year plan and you decided to accelerate that plan. <laughs> um, but let's uh, let's bounce back before we get into uh, the loopiness that sure. is mosquito. <laughs> um, I'd like to hear a little bit more about what got you to that point. Like, um, yeah, we talk we joke about you falling in with a bad group of friends to run <laughs> your first ultra. By the way, a lot of people. Yeah, they'll do 50K for their first ultra. Not a lot of people will do an unsupported solo on their own course. 
kind of 50K. There are some. There are definitely. And and you're now in that group (laughs) (laughs) of solo, unsupported, you know, made up my own course, 50K race replacement people. Mm Mm-hmm. You can you can put that trophy on okay. your on your shelf. <laughs> right. Yeah. Do I get a buckle for that? <laughs> <laughs> you got to make one yourself. Okay. Well, that's true. Right. <laughs> you can have whatever you want. Foil. Yeah. So, um, how how uh, if we we step back, how did you come to the the world of longer distance running? Or if you want to go even further back, running. When when did you sure. uh, when did you uh, lace up your trainers as they say? <laughs> trainers. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> So yeah, so for anyone who hasn't gathered right now, I'm not from this country and I have an accent. Um, So I grew up in England and uh, I moved to the US in 2003. So that's almost, well, 18 years ago now. Um, But yeah, no, running was never something that I had ever kind of um, focused on as a specific sport per se. You know, I... Grown up playing soccer and rugby and, and other kind of sports in the UK. But to me, running was always like something you do in training for another sport. Mm-hmm. And for the longest time, I could not fathom why anyone would want to run for four hours. Like to me, it just seemed like the most boring thing you could possibly do. So fast forward many, many years to um, say 2017, I think um, I joined a company that was participating in the Chase Corporate Challenge and the um, the race captain there, team captain, actually you might know him, Tim Howland. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, old Timmy. He uh, was kind of like, he put out an email asking for people if um, if they wanted to kind of join the team and, and be involved in this. And this was when the course for the challenge had moved downtown because it used to be down at RIT. It did. Yeah. Tim Holland's not going to want people uh, getting out. He doesn't want people to know that he's a, he's a team builder. (laughs) I'm pretty sure. (laughs) Um, So, so the email went out and I signed up and the company we work for is right there in high falls. Yeah. You were right across the street from, from my old company, Thompson Reuters. Right. So it was very, you know, it was almost no excuse not to do it. Um, So I signed up and I figured, well, if I'm going to do a race, like, let me see what I can do if I actually train for it. So then what happened was I started to, you know, go out for some morning runs and kind of log how I did, how I felt, and then read a little bit more about training. And being an engineer, I was just as much interested in the mental aspect of that as I was the physical. So, you know, each each run became a a challenge of sorts and then you know trying to figure out how do I improve how do I make things better so that really kind of got me much more engaged in it and then it just kind of ballooned from there like okay well you can run a three and a half miler and you can run a 5k you can run a half marathon and just kind of looking at all these other types of races and events that you could do it just kind of opened the world up to my eyes that I really hadn't seen before because you know, when I just see someone running, I don't know what they're doing. You know, I don't know what. Yeah, you don't kind know to what end, right? right? It just looks like they're just running on a road for some dumb yeah. reason. <laughs> you look hot and miserable. What are you doing? <laughs> right. <laughs> but I do. You know, Tim may not want people to know that he's a team builder, but I do think he would take a certain measure of pride in knowing that he he got ultimately his uh, little 
there's a little string from him to you doing Mighty Mosquito. So I think that might be a fun, interesting little thing to examine. Mm-hmm. But um, so that's four years ago. Uh, roughly, yeah. And you had a four-year plan to a 100-miler. Well, so <laughs> that would have been like, you know, so if I did my 50K in 2020, that would have been 2023, right, to okay. do the 100 mile. All right. But, um, yeah, no, I, I had no plan at that point as to how I was going to progress. Mm. I just kind of did further and further distances. Um, I guess the one thing that I thought about that I really did have a goal for was to run a marathon. And I was thinking about running a major. And that kind of stems back because my mom ran her first marathon at the age of 59. She ran the London Marathon. She did it, um, you know, for a charity. And before then, I think she'd done two half marathons, including, I want to say the Great North Run. I think she did the Great North Run, um, which is in Newcastle in the north of England. Um, so when I think back to, you know, me struggling to run a three and a half mile or a 5K like that was always my inspiration. It's like my mom, who's you know so many years older than me, you know, ran her first marathon at that age. And I was like, I there's nothing that I can say, <laughs> you know, to say you know to take pity on myself. It's like when my mom could do that. So that was always kind of like the thing that I had in my mind. It's like I want to get to that. I want to say that I, I I've completed the marathon, and you know, to a certain extent, make my mom feel proud of me that I could do that. Yeah, I mean that's kind of a. a there had to be something in her that flipped and was like, I'm 59. I can yeah. still do this. <laughs> right. right. Like you're, you're 40. You can still do this. Right? right. So, so I ran my first marathon when I was, I believe, let's see, it was 2018. So I was 41. There you go. So uh, yeah, mine, my first was, geez, I always forget 2013, 2013. Yeah. So I was 35. Mm-hmm. Yeah, something like that, somewhere around there. But yeah, it, it it came to me much, much later. This bad idea seemed like a good idea much later in life. Right. <laughs> so so um so after you uh you decide you're into running, mm-hmm. you're now you're now officially a runner, <laughs> and you're you're wandering around by yourself. Um, how quickly did you and and how did you fall into sort of what we have here as our. Uh, a rich tapestry of a running community. Um, so it's kind of interesting because, you know, you kind of alluded to like doing things on my own. So I'd always, you know, I, I, when I say I started running in 2017, like I'd run before, obviously. Um, I hadn't run very well or, you know, very fast, but it was always something that I did on my own. So the aspect of that, I think I just carried a little bit further. You know, I ran for longer and, and still now I would say the majority of running I do is on my own. You know, I listen to a podcast or this year I've discovered audiobooks. you know, really kind of listen to a lot of those. And I enjoy that. I enjoy being that in that space on my own. You know, since I discovered trails, you know, there's, you know, the added benefit of that, you know, running in some very beautiful places and, and all that kind of stuff. So, you know, that's something that's not going to go away. But the idea of running in a group... Um, I want to say came to me as I was looking really to kind of improve and learn from other people. And so I started looking around, you know, what the different running groups were locally. And um, I'm trying to think in my mind, there were two people who come to mind who introduced me to Rochester Running Company and the free runs that they do on Saturday mornings. 
So those are paced runs. So you can kind of go out with whatever pace you feel comfortable with. And, um, yeah, I think that was very helpful um, because in each in each group, there's people who are experienced and there's people who are novices. So the the fact that there's all abilities that are um, represented there, you know, made me feel a lot less stressed about, oh, I'm not going to be running with like a group of elite people who are just going to be leaving me in the dust. And, you know, my biggest thing is like, I don't want to slow anyone down. <laughs> like, I don't want to be the burden for anyone to have to carry. So, you know, that's kind of how I first like got involved with running with a group of people. So it was, it was that, you know, and Rochester running company is in the middle of the city. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and they do uh, a pretty good job with, um, you know, I know John works really hard to get all of the different paces and make right. sure he's got, uh, like you said, a, uh, different abilities in terms of very experienced runners. You got Jim McLaughlin there, right? Mm-hmm. Who's like 16 time Ironman and right. has run more marathons and Bambi and Kathy mm-hmm. and uh, all of these experienced pacers but they're all in different speeds. They're right. not just because they're experienced doesn't mean they're all running. The sure. Eights, yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. You, you got some of them running the tens and the elevens, and then you got people that are learning from them. Right. Right. And so that, that was really, um, what got you sort of into these groups, mm-hmm. into the group runs. And then did it, did it spread out from there? Like you took people from those group runs and started running with them other places and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, definitely a lot, you know, because, you know, you make friends, right? So, um, everyone's super friendly, you know, there's really no egos in any of those groups. Um, you know, obviously, you know, the, the, the faster runners, um, you know, they, it sometimes are more like focused, um, on what they need to get out of it. But even then, then, you know, they're not unfriendly, you know, um, and they'll bring you along if, if you're willing to go with them. So, I think that yeah, that they'll, was they'll bring you along, right? <laughs> <For> sure, right. <laughs> Sometimes you know, uh, paces don't always stick to their paces, <laughs> and uh, what you thought was uh, an eight or an eight thirty pace suddenly becomes a seven thirty pace. It's like, okay, how long are we going to sustain this for? Yeah, if you're having a good day, sometimes you just gotta let it rip, right? <laughs> yeah, and the other thing too about that's nice about the paces is you know, I guess either they're familiar enough with the the location and the, the running routes. So you don't have to worry about it. Yeah. Um, if, you know, I've uh, paced a couple of runs and just, you know, looking for the direction. I don't work well with directions. I'm much more of a, a spatial, like visual person. Oh. So if you give me a map and I can study the map, you know, before and then I'm much more comfortable with that. But yeah, you know, turn left at this mile and stuff like, okay, did I get that right? It's like, I've, I've never been comfortable with 0.03 miles right. turn left, 0.02 <laughs> yeah. miles. Even turn. with a watch, it's yeah. like, I still question myself, am I getting this right? Yeah, yeah. And it, and it is helpful to have that group. And the other fun part about that is, you know, as the runners, we all have the gear mm-hmm. uh, that we're talking about that we're wearing that day or that we didn't wear that day mm-hmm. or that somebody else might have that day that you've been thinking about. Sure. And I find the Rochester Running Company group has a, um, a lot of... Uh, that kind of conversation, yeah. you know, especially with John at the store, he's, he's always looking for newer things to bring in. And mm-hmm. so, you know, you, there's, there's going to be those kinds of conversations to help the six or nine miles on a Saturday morning go by as well. Right. Yeah. I mean, I, I learned a lot from, from all of those 
uh, experienced people there. Um, but then, you know, even people who come in, you know, sometimes people come and then they don't come for a while. But so there's always someone new to talk to. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, that's the other part, right? It's not just the same five people every right. time, right? Yeah. 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 And, um, you know, speaking of which, we were just the other day at the running company for the uh, the Brooks yeah. launch party. Mm-hmm. That's another cool. John always tries to do unique things, mm-hmm. right? Like who's going to think of having a, a campfire, <laughs> you know, a campfire in college town right. to, to celebrate a shoe launch, yeah. right? But now John has Brooks at the store. Mm-hmm. It's been a long time coming. Sure. And in order to celebrate and, you know, uh, welcome, he had um, a campfire like <laughs> right <Yeah>. there, <laughs> right? Tents and... Uh, it, it needed was, to be a fire because it was cold that it was evening. A little, it was a little <laughs> bit brisk, yes. <laughs> but it's just cool, you know, that's a cool thing to, to do. And it, there's always something unique like that, you know. Yeah, Jonathan's always thinking about what he can give back to the community. And he yeah. and I have had many, many conversations about, um, you know, what it means to be a business in a community like Rochester and what can we be giving back um, yeah. to that. Yeah, so uh, one of the things he gave you was enough experience to feel comfortable to uh, start moving towards uh, longer distances, mm-hmm. half marathons, full marathons. Yep. Um, so did you did you go right from those, like, because the pace runs on Saturday can be 5, 10, 15 miles usually, yep. right? Mm-hmm. Did you use those as a stepping stone towards your marathon? Um, I definitely used them in... In while I was training for a marathon, I think for the first marathon I did, I um, was gifted some books, I think, for my birthday. Um, so it was really just a training plan out of a book. And, you know, I just tried to follow the um, the distances, you know, on each weekly plan as it related to that. But, I, you know, I tried to, um, you know, mix and match. You know, sometimes I would go to the store, sometimes I would go run with by myself. You know, there's another running group that I, I run with called the Rochester Roadrunners. You know, they're also a super, you know, nice group of people, super friendly. So, you know, I like to mix things up. I don't like, you know, being stale and doing the same things over and over again. So just having all of those different resources available to me, you know, that helps motivate me. Because I think if I had to do the same thing over and over and over again, I would get less... Uh, interest out of that, I guess. I told you we're going to get to Mighty Mosquitoes well, soon enough. I know, I know. <laughs> <laughs> did you do um, any, did you do like 10Ks or half marathons or when was your first full? I guess what's the, okay, what's so, the order f- of those? So after I did um, the corporate challenge in 2017, I was thinking about like going beyond. And again, you know, I'm very cautious about what I think I can do. Um, I don't want to overstretch myself too much. So I wanted to move up to a half marathon next. So I was looking around to see what was local. And that's when I became aware of the Four Seasons Challenge, which you have the option to do either four half marathons or three half marathons and a full at the end. So I thought that might be a good way to get me enough training in and enough experience in to attempt a full um, after having gotten like three half marathons under my belt first. Mm -hmm. So that was kind of my plan for 2018. The first race of the uh, Four Seasons Challenge is the Winter Warrior, which in, I don't know if you remember in 2018 was when it was, I think it was like the 4th of January. It was 
air temperature was five degrees below. Actually, no, five degrees above, and the wind chill was like minus twenty-five. It's an at the time they held it in the afternoon slash evening. I think it was a four p.m. start, so the sun went down during the race. And it was snowing. Now, was that when it was at MCC or was it over? No, the, it this was is at the um, Rochester Tech Park. Right, over in Gates. Okay. Yep. So, I mean, it's an industrial park. It's really not the most pretty <laughs> yeah, course. It, it, started out at, it started at MCC. Right. And I actually ran it when it was there. And then I do, I do recall stopping by the Tech Park because it's on this side of town, you know. Yeah. So, um, but... Yeah, it's a different uh, environment. You know. Sure. Uh, so that was your first half. That was my first half marathon. And when I tell people that, who people who have run that race before, it's like, that's insane. Because <laughs> that is a pretty extreme, um, you know, environmental condition <laughs> to run your first half marathon. Yeah. Especially like that particular year. And I know there have been other years that have been like that. Well, uh, it's January in Rochester. Well, you, right. You know, so. <laughs> but, you know, so I started training like in December. So I had a month's worth of training under my belt. So I was used to at least it getting colder. Um, but yeah, I mean, that was my first time ever running in those kind of conditions. And it, um, I don't like running in the afternoons in general, just because I really know how to fuel correctly for an afternoon race. Um, but then, you know, the other challenges about like it getting dark and, and that kind of stuff. And that year actually was the first year it got so bad that prior to the race, they were offering, um, to give people a participants medal, even if they only ran one loop. So it's a four loop race <laughs> and, um, people you know, obviously were, you could run any number of loops up to the full distance. So a lot of people ended up dropping out who had signed up for the half marathon and only did the first you know, three miles. But I was committed to doing the four seasons challenge. So I didn't want to like lose the opportunity to do that by dropping out in the first race. So I pushed myself to go the full you know, 13.1 and it was a hell of a challenge <laughs> for sure. For sure. Yeah, and the one season challenge. Right? Yeah, the one season <laughs> challenge. I mean, I, um, yeah, and because it was my first half too, I had no idea how to fuel, no idea how to hydrate. They had one water stop, which like all of the cups were frozen yeah. when you went round to, yeah. to get any hydration. So yeah, it basically went without any hydration. Yeah, and the best thing for, you know, your core temperature is jumping a bunch <laughs> of ice into it. Right. right. So actually, I mean, I don't mind running in the cold and I prefer having, you know, fewer layers. Oh, sorry. Uh, more thin layers than like one big heavy jacket because I sweat a lot when I, mm -hmm. uh, and then, um, you know, running with like glasses and stuff like that, things tend to fog up. So it just gets worse the sweatier I get, even yeah. when it's cold. So I do remember like getting about two thirds of the way around into the race and thinking, um, I'm really hungry. <laughs> and then starting the final loop, I'm like, I don't know like how I'm going to get through this um, because I just don't have enough energy to run. But also thinking if I walk, it's going to take me 40 minutes or so. And I'm going to freeze to death. <laughs> I'm going to yeah. get hypothermia. Um, so I pushed myself to run when I really had no energy left to run. 
And by the time I crossed the finish line, I was literally seeing stars. I was stumbling over myself. And this is like during the day it had stopped snowing, but then it picked up again during the race. So because you're doing loops, like for the first loop, you know, the plows had come through and they plowed all the snow off, but that snow is building up gradually over the course of the race. And it took me two and a half hours to get through the whole thing. So, by the end, you know, I'm not finding good footing. It's slow going. I'm trying to push faster and I can't. And I remember just like stumbling into the aid tent afterwards and like having the best meal of my entire life. <laughs> it was like mac and cheese and hot chocolate. There was no one else left. Everyone else had gone at that point. Right. Because most, most people that would be behind you took the early exit, right? Right. Yeah. So no one was insane well, very few people were as insane as me to kind of push for it. Well, I and I get it because that is definitely a safety thing, right? You don't mm-hmm. want people, you don't want scooping up a bunch of hypothermics, right, right at the end. Yeah. But as, I mean, that's tough. So, yeah. but but you you got refueled. You didn't have an incident at the end. No, I mean, like I wish I had asked someone to come pick me up because after finishing that, I had to walk over to my car, which had become an ice box. I had to change of clothes, but they were all frozen. So while I was waiting for my car to, I couldn't even get changed. I was so cold. Right. So I had to wait for my car to warm up, to warm up my clothes. So then I could change into my clothes and then leave. Oh, so so I didn't a- end up leaving probably until like another 40 minutes after I finished. <laughs> so yeah, that was a long, that was a long day. And you're really like this running thing, man, this is awesome. <laughs> but you know what, you know, fast forward to the end and, um, you know, I did do do the marathon. I finished the marathon, and um, they had like the um, the awards party afterwards. Not after the marathon, like I think it was a couple of weeks later. They were handing out handing out the awards, and I got a first place age group in that category because there were literally only two people who finished <laughs> every single race and did the marathon. Wow, there you so go. So that's my first and only hey, <laughs> like first. That's first a hell place. of a start. So um, commitment seems like a big thing to you <laughs> sure you committed to a thing yep. you're gonna do it yeah is that would you say is that a thing yeah i'd never like to sign up for things that i don't think i'm gonna follow through on mm-hmm. so yeah all yep. right i said we're gonna talk about my <laughs> mosquito a little bit later <laughs> no so okay so you do three half marathons you do a full mm-hmm. and this is where you hatch your this is where you hatch your four-year plan i did the marathon yeah and then it's like, what comes next? Right. So so that's when I started talking to people. And I remember especially, you know, Kathy Reardon and Bambi and um, and Wendy Abbott, you know, just asking around, you know, what would you recommend doing? And they were really the ones who had said Green Lakes would be a really good first first yeah, ultra. They're smart, smart women right there. Yeah, they are very smart. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, I should listen to them more. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And... So now you, you've got this marathon under your belt. That's the, the Rochester Marathon in yep. 2018. Mm-hmm. All right. The last, if we would have known, Rochester but, Marathon. Uh, I think they ran it in 2019. Did they? Yeah, I think they ran it. Because I remember, so I um, Winter Warrior was my first official half marathon. But I did run 13 miles in training for that i guess the previous i would say september okay and 
I felt, oh yeah, I've just run 13 miles. That's great. Now I can sign up for a marathon. And I think the Rochester Marathon in 2017 was two weeks um, away uh, after I'd run my first 13 miler. Right. So I said, yeah, maybe I could just like sign up now and run 26 miles because I ran 13 miles. Um, And I said, yeah, that thought lasted all of about two seconds and then I realized that was not a good idea. And when the day came, I was really glad that I didn't because it was, I believe, like 80 degrees that day. And I remember in 2019, it was also very hot. It might have even been 80 degrees that day. So 2018, it was actually the start. It was 49 degrees, I believe. And, you know, stayed a pretty consistent, you know, maybe mid 50s, upper 50s. So like condition wise, the year that I ran it was perfect. Right. Um, so that's how I remember it was 2018. And there was another one 2019 because I saw people suffer. You're right. You were, I, I remember that now. Yeah. That um, my buddy was going to run it and he did the half and he was okay. like, yep, I'm, he was going to do the full. Yep. And instead of making that turn for the mm-hmm. half, he just kept running straight across the road and was like, that's it for me. Yep. Yeah. All right. Um, then you, you hatch your big plan, right? Mm-hmm. So what did you do to start working your way from that Rochester Marathon to Green Lakes? Um, so I did actually um, start working with a coach at that time. Um, my work offered like... Um, personal health assessments as part of a wellness program and I actually started um I met up with the person who was running it and she mentioned that she was also a a running coach so I started working with her um a little bit to kind of build up some fitness and 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 work into a plan um other than that you know it was really just kind of you know listening to people who I run with reading a few books, reading some stuff online and just kind of figuring out what worked for me. Um, you know, like we said, going to Green Lakes, I, I expected it to be a, a trail race, uh, which I'd never run on trails before. So a lot of it was kind of getting acquainted to running, you know, different trails and stuff like that. And that, you know, there's a, a certain group of people who you know, prefer that to roads. So it just meant kind of like finding out who those people were and and trying out some things with them. Mm -hmm. There's a few that like both, but you know. Yeah, sure. (laughs) A few, but everybody has a definite preference. Right. right? So, you know, I mean, and I, even though I was relatively new to the running community, I knew there were a lot of people who I knew who were not. So some people like um, Jen Malik, Jen actually is an old high school friend of my wife. That's how I knew her originally. And, um, you know, when I started running and seeing what people did, you know, I, I looked at what she did and, you know, I saw the kinds of things that she was doing, like uh, Oil Creek and many on the Jenny and, and you know, being completely, you know, in awe of, you know, because she's very good. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, I remember listening to her um, you know, on this podcast and how she talked about how she got into it. And it's almost like, yeah, I just fell into it and realized I was good at it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I fell into it and realized I was not as good as her <laughs> by any <laughs> means, but I had like the, uh, you know, the, um, stubbornness, I guess, to kind of see things through. Yeah. 
And, uh, but there's an enthusiasm there too, that Jen has like, even, even on the bad days, she still seems to, to look for, look for the positive parts of it, which is, which is, I think important, you know? Oh yeah, absolutely. And I think, um, that's something that I've definitely found among the trail running community here. Like everyone seems to have a really positive attitude. There's, there's no one that I can think of who runs trails regularly, who is like constantly, you know, mad. Yeah, or it's like kind of, annoyed at things. It's kind of difficult. I mean, you get to spend time running through the woods. Yeah. <laughs> like, I mean, right. So, that, I mean, that's why I go, right? Because yeah. I, I go there, I could be feeling aggravated or annoyed, but you know what? An hour in the woods changes that, you know? Right. And I, you know, there's Jen. I have another good friend, uh, Amy Dagro. Uh, she runs uh, with another one of her friends, Michelle. They run candlelight every year. And, you know, they were talking to me. So as I was looking into, you know, what ultras mean, you know, how do people run and, you know, you know, beyond 26.2 miles? And they said, well, you know, there's a lot more walking and there's a hell of a lot more eating. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm like, huh, okay. That, that does kind of sound interesting, especially the eating part. Yeah, maybe I've been doing this wrong. Yeah. <laughs> well, and, you know, it's funny as I mentioned, you know, I was coming off of a marathon in the spring, which that was actually, again, a self-supported run. It was really more of a time trial than a race. Um, but that's something that I found moving from a marathon distance, you know, trying to run and hit these paces to going to where really the only thing you're really focused on is endurance. Um, so Mosquito, you know, you have to run 100 miles in 30 hours. So that's a averages out to an 18 minute pace you know which is half of what i was going for for my marathon um so you know once i started training for those longer races um it i realized it was i mean it's a completely different sport yeah you're looking at completely different things as how it affects your body you know your fueling your your strategy all of that kind of stuff and um it was interesting to me because i'd never tried something like that before Right. So in, in the marathons, you're, you're really optim. You're trying to take exactly as much fuel as you need right. for exactly the amount of time at the exact pace you're trying to hit. Right. Like right. that's the thing I always found it. And of course this is going to vary, but you know, people don't know where to send me email anyway, but <laughs> I've always found that road running and that, that marathon pacing to be, exacting yeah. right like I, I want it i need to hit 7 11 right like i knew when i was training for a marathon i needed 9 11 per mile mm-hmm. in order to get four hours right right and then you go well you probably should do 9 10 mm-hmm. so that you have a 30 second buffer <laughs> right well that's uh, <laughs> you know like yeah. let's talk about precision here right, right? like run 9 10 instead of 9 11 so you got 30 extra seconds to wiggle around with and the other thing too about, you know, the way that I approach races before was like, I'd always subscribe to, um, you know, if you're not leaving the course feeling like you're completely exhausted, then you left something on the course, mm-hmm. right? So so I always thought that, you know, tra- training or running these races, like you had to run them as hard as possible until you had nothing left to give. And it wasn't until I started training with a coach for one thing or training with coaches and breaking down training um, for some of these races that I realized the goal isn't really necessarily to 
to be at a point where you're collapsing at the end of a race. The goal is to make you better so that you're not doing that. Right. Right. So then as you run faster, you're running easier. Or I should say, you know, you're running easier, but you're getting faster for the same amount of effort. And I remember there was a quote that I read from an elite runner who said, you know, people always asked her, you know, how do you run so fast? Like, you know, you must be, you know, very different. Your your training must look very different. It must feel very different to the average runner. She says, my training feels no different than anyone else. It's hard. It sucks. The only difference is I do it faster. Right. Right. That's the only difference. So that kind of like, you know, taking those kind of nuggets of wisdom, like really kind of helped me change my focus and say, okay, well, my goal is to get better so that it doesn't suck at the end. Right. right. To be able not to be a complete zombie barely existing at the end. Right. But but to have exhausted yourself and put forth the effort. Right. I mean, you definitely have to put the effort in and, and feel like you couldn't really have done any better than that, but not to the point where you're just, you know, failing. failing right? right. So what really helped me get into the mindset of that was last year, I mentioned, you know, my goal this year was the 2021 miles. So 2021 miles. Last year, my goal was to do a run streak. And I did a run streak. I ended up uh, getting injured at day 370, just after I finished the year. But what that taught me was no matter how hard my effort was the day before, I have to be able to go out and run a mile the next day. So, you know, that changed my perspective on, you know, being able to preserve my body and um knowing that no matter what my goal was there's always tomorrow and i always want to be able to do more tomorrow right. if i you know destroy myself in pursuit of this one goal tomorrow isn't going to happen for me right so let's step back and talk about this um this time trial you did this marathon time trial mm-hmm. um because they, again now we're, we're talking about like your commitment and your goals and you're setting these individual goals. Mm-hmm. So you wanted to see what was this time trial? The goal was how fast could you run? Um, no, this one was really just a sub four, like okay. see if I could get a sub four, you know, and our time goals, they're arbitrary, but you know, it was just something that I had set myself for 2018. You know, when I ran the Rochester marathon, I was on pace for the first half and then about 15, 16 miles in, I got cramped, like a weird side cramp that mentally kind of like put me out. And then I struggled the rest of the way around. So I didn't have a good experience on the back end of that. So I wanted to to try and do it right. You know, I'd had another year or so's worth of, of fitness training. I did the run streak. You know, I'd done some longer races. I was a better runner. Um, and I was taking care of my body better. I, at least that's what I thought. Um, so, yeah, so I set a goal for myself. And I also really wanted to run this route. So I always thought that it would be really nice to run along the river the entire way of the Genesee River and run a marathon alongside the river. Um, I've been involved in some community initiatives that are working on some projects to try and uh, make that possible. It's a long-term goal with the city of rochester and stuff like that um but i wanted to see you know what what that looked like right now so what i ended up doing was i started at rochester running company 
ran down to the river at U of R, went basically down the west side of the river all the way down to Charlotte Pier, um, and then turn around there basically at the halfway mark and then come back up uh, on the east side and then end up back at the um, back at the store. So planned out a couple of different ways of doing it and then kind of uh, figured out the route that I wanted to do and uh, thought that it was it was similar to, or there's certain parts of it that um, are the same parts of the course as the Rochester Marathon so parts that we're familiar with and other parts I had to kind of discover that were new to me as I was kind of training for this. Mm-hmm. Yeah and and your goal was to do it fast I mean you're doing nine minute yeah. miles at this point so how did that turn out? So, you know, I thought I was in good shape and I started, obviously, I, um, I started the year off coming off of the run streak and then running into the 2021 miles, which breaks down to about 40 miles a week. So about five and a half miles a day. So I was kind of putting in that distance during January and February when it was snow, you know, the conditions weren't great, but obviously not being able to put in the pace that I would need. So I hadn't really practiced at pace, hadn't been able to do any speed work during those conditions. I hate running on the treadmill, so I wasn't doing anything indoors. So it was all outdoors. And it wasn't until February that really the snow and the ice really started to kind of completely clear. So then I spoke to my speed work coach and and said, do you think this is feasible? Because I'd set my goal to do it by the end of April. And that was really only like eight weeks that I had available to me. And he kind of advised me, "Mm, really, you're talking about six weeks because then you got like two weeks to taper. That's a lot to try and push yourself up to that kind of fitness. So again, me being stubborn, I didn't listen to him. (laughs) No, I'm I'm, going for this. I'm using the word commitment. You can use stubborn. (laughs) Bloody mindedness is another term for that. So you, so you did 370 days run streak. Mm -hmm. And this marathon was sort of included in the end of it? No, this was the, the following year. So okay. my 365-day run streak was the previous year. Okay. And I was coming right. into this. I thought that was the end of, you know, you did 365 right. days. Oh, no. So I ended it on the calendar year, basically. Okay. Um, but I did, you know, I was building up, like, my, my base mileage. Mm-hmm. So I'd put in, you know, 200-something um, miles, uh, whatever that works out to be, you know, so 400 miles by February, so I had a good base in, mm-hmm. um, you know, coming into the the actual training for it. So I said, okay, well, let me see how I how I do with my training. And I remember I had my last long run that I had planned was a twenty miler that I did out and back on the canal from Brighton to Pittsford and beyond. Um, and I did it the first half at at goal pace, and then the second half I was hoping to get like a full minute faster than goal pace, knowing that, you know, I wanted to kind of neg split it, at least see what that would feel like. Ended up not being able to get a full minute, but maybe 30 seconds faster. Um, and I felt good. I actually felt like if I'd carried on, I could have finished the next six miles and would have got my goal. Um, but I said, no, like, this is what I plan to do. Let me, you know, stick to my plan and then you know, do the race as I had planned it. So, of course, like within the next two weeks, I completely overdid. Like I did stupid stuff like I ran two back-to-back 13-milers 
as I was trying to figure out the last pieces of the route that I wanted to do. And then I did speed work, I did some strength work and ended up killing my quads like a week before the time. That, and, and this is the other stupid thing too, right? So it's a time trial that I set for myself. I could have done it at any time. <laughs> so I could say, oh, I'm injured. I really shouldn't do this now. But I was like, I want this to feel like as much as I could training and preparing for a real race. And obviously right. you can't postpone a real race. So whatever I carried into it was what I was going to have. And it sucked because the moment I started, my quads locked up and I was in pain for four hours. Like there was no part of it that was not painful in that race. So I completely did it wrong. It was all on me. Didn't listen to people's advice. So, you know, that is just like the poster child of the way not to do it. Um, So, yeah, I was really disappointed and, um, you know, I, I still want to go for that goal and it's kind of what I've set for my upcoming races. But Right, but again, you did that unsupported and without the um, without the subconscious motivations of race day. Right. Well, I mean, it wasn't totally uh, unsupported. So I did have a couple of paces come in at like mile 16, Prem, Kuma helped me, and then Bo um, Schumacher also kind of pace me the last three or four miles um but really kind of what got to me in addition to like me being in pain was there was i wanted to go over the um the middle falls bridge the rg&e dam and the the tricky thing about that was this is a morning race and the when that gate opens so you can run across the dam it's supposed to be right at nine o'clock so the previous week I had gone down there to check it out just to make sure that that's actually what happened. And it did. It opened up at nine o'clock. I timed it so I would be there maybe 15 minutes later to give myself a little bit of buffer. When I got there, the gate wasn't open. Even at 9.15? At 9.15. So then I was like, okay, do I wait? Like, what do I do? I knew I could, there was a, an alternate bridge I could go across, but I had to go back up Brewer Street, go yeah. back up the hill. So I waited maybe for a minute or two, realized it wasn't going to happen. So then I had to run back up the hill and then go across the bridge. So by that point, you know, I was right on pace. Now I was 15, 20 minutes, seconds slower than I should be. So then what I tried to do was catch up on the downhill, you know, going down towards Charlotte. And I ended up picking up that pace eventually. But what that did was it, destroyed my plan for my hydration and my nutrition so i burned up all that extra energy trying to get back to where i thought i should be and then i had to go back up the hill yeah so going up the hill i was going on the rail trail that goes up towards the zoo and it had rained the night before i was wearing my vapor flies which have zero grip like the zero tread on it so it was mushy it was i was losing uh footing you know and then there's in addition to that you know there's the the stones that you run onto. So try to maintain a nine minute pace going up the hill in un, you know, unhelpful terrain. You know, it was just a real struggle. So I also hadn't run that kind of distance and I hadn't run anything more than 20 miles in since I tried my 50 K the, the previous August. Right. So when I hit the wall I didn't recognize that's what it was. 
And it wasn't, it was only because Prem was running with me. It's like, he told me, okay, you've hit the wall. You've got to push through the next mile and a half and then you'll be good again. Because at that point, all the voices were talking in my head, like, just quit. Right. This is the worst you thing the, you've, you've ever done. You made this thing up. <laughs> right. <laughs> like you have no one to blame but yourself. Um, <laughs> but, you know, it was good to have him there because he dragged me through. And I ended up, ultimately, I ended up, I think, 402.35. So it was only like two and a half minutes outside my goal with all of those challenges. And looking back, at, you know, at the time, I was really disappointed because uh, I thought it was really on the cards. Now I look back and it's like, you know, I did pretty well given all of those things. So yeah, and and again, I think you're learning. You're you're gaining experiences, yeah. <laughs> which are helping you deal with things not going right. Right. Which again, we'll discuss. Yeah. Um. So okay. So I mean, two minutes off. That's not so bad. No, not in the grand you scheme know. of things. No. Um. Especially with something as exacting as a self-paced self-run marathon where you have to hit this you know that's pretty good you know don't be so hard on yourself <laughs> no i tend to do that so yeah all right well and that's earlier this year right that was in april yeah right because this is part of your 2021 and 2021 yeah so you decided to try to get a hundred of those miles all in one day <laughs> <laughs> yeah that was that was a thing <laughs> all right so mighty mosquito for okay. those for those who don't know it is a um, it is a looped course, which Clem doesn't like. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I've come to appreciate. It is a trail race, which Clem hadn't done. Uh, <laughs> it is a hundred miler, which Clem hadn't done. Um, but it is in Mended Park, which you were getting familiar with. Mm-hmm. Um, so it is six loops, which um, it's three loops, six times each, mm-hmm. uh, and. Each of those loops is about a 50K, give or take. Right. Um, and the first loop is where you get all your climbing and all your fun hills in, right? Well, actually, the first and third loops. Yeah, third loop the, the is, was new this year, so I don't know. The third loop had changed Yeah, because so, uh, Shay was guest directing that loop. Yeah, so I don't know about that one, but right. it sounds like it was a special kind of fun. Yeah, um, Shay t- says she took out the bits she didn't like. When she did it, okay. uh, which was mainly all of the grass bits, which also I don't like either. So I was very grateful for that. Um, you know, having done, you know, a hundred K before hitting those loops was very different. <laughs> I had a different yeah. opinion. Yeah. You could use <laughs> that grass for eating and walking. <laughs> <laughs> right. But uh, no. So yeah. So it's. Um, all right. So you had a very coming from your roadrunner background and coming from your very meticulous planning self. You had a plan. Yeah. For this, for this hundred miler, you had your tent, you had all your food, you had your crew, you had everything you're going to need each time you come through the loop. You were ready to go on this. Yeah, no, I really did. Um, you know, I wanted to do it right. And part of this was, so I did the 50 K unsupported last year. And at the time I said, like, if I'm going to run a hundred miler, like I better damn well have a belt buckle waiting for me at the end. So I wasn't going to do a hundred mile on myself on oh. my own. Sorry. All right. Um, so yeah, so I had this plan to do this race. Like I said, you know, I was looking for a full race and it wasn't a local race that was in the fall. So this ended up being it. So I was a little nervous because it meant a little less time, actually a lot less time than I was planning to have to train. And the question was going to be, am I going to be able to do this? You know, 
with essentially three months worth of training coming off of um the um uh the the marathon but you know i felt that all of the training i was getting in for that was a good base i guess to kind of step up from there so you know i didn't really focus on it on how i was going to deal with it how i was going to train until i got the marathon mostly out of the way um and then started thinking about how to do that so i um I got Chrissy Mills' book, yeah, and um, kind of just read through that and said, "Okay, well, let me try the training plan." Flip to the training plan and realize this is a forty-eight week training plan. <laughs> she does not mess around with the training plan. I have twelve weeks. Yeah, and you I, can't jump in at week thirty-six. Well, <laughs> you you say that. <laughs> I know. So that's essentially what I did. Was like, okay. I have no idea how, like, because there is no 12-week, 100-mile training plan, at least not one that I could find. So I said, okay, well, let me see. You know, I feel like I've got a good base. Um, What do the last 12 weeks of this plan look like? Well, the first week, well, so coming off of the marathon, I gave myself a week to rest because I was injured. And then I started to try and, you know, up my mileage a little bit to kind of get to a point where I was ready to start a plan. And then it basically just jumped into the highest mileage block in the entire plan. So I went from running, you know, 20 to 30 miles for the marathon week and the week after to an 85 mile week. And I'd never run anything more than maybe a 60 miles in a week before. So that was pretty intense going to that yeah, level. <laughs> that's why you said... You can't jump in at week 36. Well, it's not advisable. And you know, Jeff, Jeff Galloway, famed, famed <laughs> Olympic runner, says, after your marathon, after your goal race, you should give yourself one day off for every mile in the race. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I know that nobody follows that, but yeah. I was going to give myself one week off because I was injured after all. <laughs> yeah. I mean... <laughs> So and then I was going to jump into yeah, my, I was going to jump into week thirty six of Chrissy Mal's training plan. So the first, so you say I haven't, like you said I run the hundred miler like it's the first time I'd run on trails <laughs> or that distance. So there was a lot of running on trails that preceded that. Well, yeah, obviously. So I well, yeah, like I was saying, you were getting to know Menden, right? So there were three; those three weeks um, were very the very different approach to each of those weeks, but I did something that was pretty cool in each one of those. So the first one was, you know, I, I knew that the goal wasn't, or I could break the goal up into components. So even though Miss uh, Chrissy's plan had like running 55 miles uh, in a day, but it may be preceded by like 10 miles and preceded by, you know, five miles. So I change the goals to focus on okay over the course of the weekend this is what i'm going to run so the first weekend at 45 miles um in the block so i broke that up into 315 milers so one of them was on the road that's fair uh uh two of them were on the trail and it's you know so i got 45 miles under my belt for the weekend (laughs) the following weekend did you think did you stop and go boy just getting started (laughs) i can tell you like by 
mile 12 of the last 15 mile, I was like, I want nothing more to do with this. <laughs> um, but I pushed through and I, I got home and it's like, okay, now I can, re- I can rest and relax. The following week, what I wanted to get um, some experience about was what is it like to run overnight? Because I knew that, you know, the race would involve overnight running and I'd never really done that before. So what the plan called for 55 miles that weekend, 55 miles that weekend as well. So I did a 15 mile trail run with a group in the morning. So we started like eight o'clock. I got up at six, started at eight. Then I went and did like a whole bunch of errands and chores that day and then went down to Menden at eight o'clock and then started a 40 miler at eight o'clock. So that took me through the night, did two big loops around the perimeter. Then, um, you know, Jonathan from Rochester Running came in and, and paced me for a couple of couple of hours. And then I got to a point, I left him, it was like three o'clock in the morning. And it's like, okay, my goal was to finish at three o'clock. I was going to run from eight to three, thinking that I was going to run a lot faster than I was actually running. I was like, well, I could stop now or I could, you know, try and hit the mileage. So I figured it'd be like another two and a half, maybe three hours on top of where I was at. Like, do I feel like I can do it? It's like, okay, I'll try it. So then I pushed through and I finished. I did 40 miles and I finished at 6.30 in the morning. So I was up from uh, 6 o'clock in the morning to 6.30 the following morning. So the level of fatigue I had coming off of that, I figured would be very similar to what I would feel when I actually did Mosquito. So to me, that was really, really helpful to know what that felt like because I was really nervous that I'd be sleepy, I'd be tripping over myself, that I'd be delirious, and none of that happened. Like, I found these reserves and, you know, the experience of just being out at night running on my own, you know, listening to all the sounds of the the wildlife and everything. It was exhilarating. And then seeing the sunrise come up over the pond was just beautiful. It was really amazing. It was a really amazing, invigorating experience. And I think that if I could pinpoint one moment in time where I realized I was going to do this, I would say that was the moment because that to me was always going to be the hardest challenge. It wasn't necessarily the, the full mileage. It was what, what would I feel like with the level of fatigue at that point in time during the race. So then I did that. And then the following week, I did a uh, self-supported loop around Letchworth. <laughs> so, there you go. Basically like the many on the Jenny course. So right? I did the many on the Jenny. I, I you know, started at the finish line, looped back around to the start line, and then did the full course. So it was 44-ish miles. Um, but I did it on my own. And I remember people told me, like, you know, are you sure you want to do that? Like, because it's hard. It's not an easy thing to do. And then to do it by yourself, like some people said, like you, like you might might want to rethink that. Say, like, well, I'm going to treat this like a day out in the woods, right? So my my only goal with this is to, to to finish it and to have fun. So there were lots of stops, taking pictures and and stuff like that. I ended up, um, I had to go a little bit early because I had to put my drop, um, 
drop bags at specific points where I thought I would need them. And um and it takes a while to get around Letchworth. <laughs> yeah. Uh, driving even right just driving <laughs> so so if there was a time pressure that I felt on that it was I wanted to get out I wanted to finish my run before it got dark so that I could drive down and pick up my stuff on my way out right so they don't dark. close the gate on you right right so I was a little nervous about that but other than that like there was really no pressure that I put myself on that run yeah <laughs> so that's a that's a heck of a three weekends right yeah. there right so so that, and this was also in May, thinking that I, like one of the things I was nervous about is, is this really going to be indicative of conditions at the end of July? And I guess luckily we had a really hot May. <laughs> um, so it ended up being pretty close, especially given the day that I did run the ski, like the actual race day was relatively cool in, in comparison. Yeah, most of us were not thinking, luckily we had a hot May. <laughs> no, I know. So, <laughs> <laughs> all right. That's, um, that is a heck of a, I mean, for me, you know, joking and saying you can't. And, and I mean, you probably, I wouldn't, you wouldn't tell somebody to jump in at week 36 of that book. No. But for doing it, it seems like you came up with a really interesting way to um, maybe not stick to the, the principles as much as what she had, but to get the benefits that you probably needed at that point, right? Leading right. up to the race. like And yeah, I think I've at that point, by that point, I realized that, you know, a plan is not, like a plan is a plan is, you know, it's something you write on a piece of paper. What's really important to you is like, what do you get out of it? And for me, that's what I felt I needed to get out of it, even if it wasn't 100% what was written on the page. Right. And it sounds like you you did pretty good during that month. Yeah. All right. So now you got June and some of July. Mm-hmm. What, what what do you do? Just kind of dork around and run, you know, rando miles or? Yeah. So, I mean, during that period, you know, a lot of the people that I was running with, you know, there were a lot of races going on. Um and I really wanted to, um, you know, huge FOMO. <laughs> like, it's like, yeah. I want to run these races. But that's when the the idea kind of seeded itself about, it would be really cool to say that my first trail race was a 100 miler. So I deliberately didn't sign up for any races during that time period. But I did do things during that time with other people. So, for example, you know, I... Um, I volunteered. I volunteered at Many and the Jenny, so I was able to run some of that course. You know, you know, prior to um, volunteering, um, I uh, was a sweeper at Zero SPF, so I ran that course. You know, so I got some mileage in doing trails, but also kind of being part of the trail community and being part of that, seeing my friends, um, and just having a fun time, basically. So the the pressure of not having to run you know, the, those huge mile weeks, um, you know, I focus a little bit more on speed and strength. Um, so yeah, no, it was, felt a little bit more comfortable. And every weekend you got to tell everybody, no, I'm not running today. I got my race is coming up. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So how did you handle, uh, race day? I mean, you had a tent. I know that you had, you had a foot bath, you had all the things. Um, so how much going into your race day is the planning of your logistics of your, your aid station and your crew and where everybody's going to be and what everybody's going to do versus the 
part that you actually like, I'm going to run and here's how I'm going to run and here's what I'm going to do. So I think the first thing to note is that as it maybe comes across, I'm a planner, so I like yeah. to plan things out. Um, so I I think I waited till about three weeks before the race to before I like asked if anyone wanted to pay to crew me. And I didn't, I had no idea who would say yes or no or whatever. Um, I was lucky enough that I had six people who said that they would pace me and then a number of others who said that they would be willing to just hang out and crew me. So I knew I really didn't, uh, I'm not sure if, sure if they allow paces on the first loop, but um, I knew I didn't want a, a pacer on the first loop. Um, but for the second loop, I thought it would be helpful because that's where it's flat and I knew I wanted to pick up the pace. So I kind of, I broke everything. Being an engineer, I had a spreadsheet, right? So <laughs> I um, initially worked out, okay, well, what would be the the times I would need people here um, if I ran an, an even 18-minute pace? Then I started to think, okay, well, you know, I've been doing pretty well on my training runs. You know, maybe I should set a B goal of 24 hours and see whether that's achievable and, and what kind of paces would that work out given the complexities of the different terrains for loops one two and three so i figured the first loop i could keep an even 16 minute pace speed up to i think about a 12 30 pace for the second loop sorry 14 minute pace for the first loop 12 30 for the second loop and then 16 minute for the last loop and that would still get me in range of a 24 hour finish so then I kind of plugged that in, put the algorithms <laughs> in the spreadsheet and said, okay, well, this is when you need to turn up and this is when you need to turn up. So all of that was kind of planned in advance. And um, the big unknown was like, I had no idea whether I could stick to any of those paces. So um, I started a Facebook <laughs> group. Uh, luckily, like all of the my friends who said that they would help me were all on Facebook. So I created a group just for that and said use this to communicate with each other because the last thing that i want to do on the day is think about are other people are people getting what they need right and are they where they're supposed to be like people need to see where i'm at on the course and communicate to people who aren't there yet so they need to know okay what well, you need to get here either earlier or later depending on how we deviate from that plan so everyone was super like super great or like all of my um paces were really good all my crew was really good um you know if one person in particular you know tracy hard is like rocked up with the tent and the hammock and all of that kind of stuff and she was pacing me um but no everyone was like super supportive and said you know we're here for you and you know, I've never relied on anyone like that for a race before. No, you've done all your stuff by really. yourself. Yeah, so it was super humbling to know that people were willing to do that for me. Um, I knew I would have to pay it back. <laughs> mm. And that's what I've kind of been doing the last, yeah. last few weeks. And I'm sure that <laughs> there's no end to that, really. But um, No, because you'll think of something dumb no, to I know, do I know. and then... <laughs> They'll yeah. all jump in on it, and then. But that's yeah. that's what makes the yeah. trail running community so great. And I, I had no experience of this before, so I really didn't know. Um, so yeah, so going into the the race day, you know, I had my plan. I took the day off work the day before, 
And I figured, you know, I'm just going to kind of take it easy, you know, get all the supplies I need, um, you know, cook all the meals that I'm going to want to take with me and then just kind of chill. And that totally wasn't how it panned out. <laughs> um, turns out, like, it takes a while to cook a lot of these things and then fill up, like, six gallons worth of tailwind, <laughs> you know, um, and to plan all of that. Um, so I was actually, like, running around. Like, I was more stressed, I think, the day before the race than I could have been, like, during the race or before the race, like, before then, um, just trying to get everything together. Because I wanted to get everything down there by like 5.30 in the evening, set up the tent and then go home and get an early night because it's a, it's not an early, early start. It's not like a 4 a.m. start, but 6 a.m. when I'm not camping there, you know, I still have to kind of like get up and then go down. So I got up at four o'clock, took a shower, <laughs> which okay. my wife was like, why are you taking a shower? Because I got to feel good. Gotta right, feel exactly. Good. I was like, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to have the opportunity to take a shower for at least 36 hours. Yeah. Or as Abby said, you got to wash your knees, you know? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, right. So, so yeah. So then I, you know, I was just trying to get to a point where the morning could be relaxed. So everything was set up, you know, when we, when Tracy and I kind of scouted out where to pitch a tent, it was like, oh, like you can do it right on as you come down the hill and then you're right by the parking lot. So you're not that far away. You don't have to lug stuff, you know, half a mile to a spot. So it was great. We got everything out there, set everything up. And I thought, you know, rocking up on the day would be easy. It get to the, like, to the site, maybe around, like, quarter past five. So about 45 minutes before the start. And um, I remember... Mike comes down, one of the race directors, and says, you got to move your tent. And I'm like, why? I said, well, like, you got to come down the hill, but we want to check, we want people to check in before they go out on the next loop to make sure that we know that they're out there in case anything happens. So we don't want you to have to come back up the hill to check in before you leave. Um, Because, you know, after the first loop, it'll be fine. But after loop seventeen, you're going to be sick of like having to go. And it's not a it's not no, a climb. It's at not all, a right? climb. It's a but it's but you know it's it's just a, another thing that you might have to deal with. So I'm like, okay, I have forty five minutes. I'm here by myself. There's no way I'm moving all of this stuff. So I'm like, you know, I got on the phone to to my crew and said, look, when you get here, just go speak to the directors ask them where, you know, we have to put this thing and then figure it out. Like, I cannot worry about that right now because I Good. have to think about the race. And you muscled them over and you didn't move your tent. Well, so it, it, it turned out <laughs> like they said, well, we can see you from the bottom of the hill. So we'll just <laughs> yell at you when Clem comes through. Clem's going out. And yeah. then yeah, it's no problem. So, and it ended up not being a problem. But I understand why they wanted to do no, that. Absolutely. But you know. it, but where you were, it, once logistically it happened, then it worked yeah. out. Yeah. I just... It was it was almost better that it happened at that point in time because if it happened like earlier, then I would have had I've been in two minds. So oh, maybe I can do this, but it's like yeah, this is this, there's nothing I can do about that at this point. So I'm not even gonna try. I'm just gonna like go out, run my race, and then get going. So yeah, so that's how it started. <laughs> um, 
would it surprise you to say that I've been in more ultras and at more ultras where the runner starts more flustered than they do relaxed? <laughs> uh, that would not surprise me. Yeah, it's almost always the, something, right? There's oh, sure. always something. It is It is the odd time out where somebody's like, yeah, I got to the line and just, it just went. Yeah. I, I just got there and I just went, you know. Right. But those times, I, I don't know. I'm a believer that something goes wrong in an ultra. Right. Right. And, you know, that's how you deal with it. I mean, yeah, it's just it's the length of time that you're doing something right. So the the opportunities for something to not go according to plan just multiply by the length of the time. Yeah. So and when you're you, running for 30 hours, there's yeah. a lot of things that could change. And if you start out with something, it's only going to get better from there. Right? Well, I guess. So, yeah. So. Um, sneakers, uh, yeah, mosquito is a little bit different in that you have the relay teams and you have the solo runners, yep. right? Um, and so when you're out on those loops, there's people, you have a more, ch- uh, larger chance of seeing somebody than mm-hmm. you would in a regular old hundred. Cause you got relay runners right. coming by on loop two and three and four, and you might be two or three loops behind them, mm-hmm. you know? So you're seeing a lot of people and stuff, but how is your, how is your mindset in terms of like, this is how I'm going to get through loop one. So loop one, like I'm sure a lot of other people do, like I succumb to hubris a lot. (laughs) So I was feeling great. Like it was, like I said, you know, a a much cooler start than I was anticipating. So I didn't have to worry too much about the heat. So like I said, my goal was to run a 16 minute pace, you know, for the first loop and I got through, I, so you start off going up the water tower hill. So one thing I told myself that I wasn't going to do was run up the hill. So I walked up the hill and, you know, I don't know if I was in last place, but I was pretty close to last place by the time I got to the top of the hill. I was like, that's fine. Like that's half a mile. There's 99 and a half miles left to go. Right. So, and it worked out to be pretty true because once you start, so it's, you know, most of the, cli- it, it has uh, most of the, uh, it, the first loop in comparison to the other loops, especially loop three this year, it had a higher elevation total, but most of that um, came in the first climb. And then it's pretty much a net downhill. There's ups and downs and stuff like that, but it's, it feels runnable once you get to the top of the hill. So I knew I didn't have to run to the top of the hill and I knew I was going to make up time coming down the hill. So, you know, I felt pretty good, got through the first loop and I was running, I think at that point, like a 13 minute pace. Yeah. So three minutes ahead of uh, pace wise where I thought I was going to be and I still felt really fresh. So then I, you know, did the side of the second loop, did the same thing, walked up the hill. And um, at that point, you know, I'd passed a lot of people who... Um, you know, started ahead of me, and then I found um, I found a rabbit to follow. Um, I don't know if you know Kimberly Rate. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, she's very fast. Uh, she doesn't finish a lot of races, but she goes all out when she does a race. Well, and she can go for quite some time. Right, she can. <laughs> yeah. So I knew that I wasn't anywhere near as good as her, but if I could kind of stay like in her path a little bit, I knew that I knew roughly where I I wanted to be and where I needed to be so then after the second loop you know I took a little bit longer time at the aid station than she did and I was like okay I'm not gonna push that I'm gonna (laughs) drop back now but it was fun like I felt fine and everything looked good um 
I ended up going through the the other the next four loops, finishing the first fifty k, um, at a fourteen. Yeah, about fourteen minute pace. And that's when I I saw you finishing your last two loops. Right. Your last two loops of loop one. Right. And you were, you were feeling good. You were taking your time, but you were also pretty business, mm-hmm. right? You knew what you wanted to eat. And then at 50 K you changed your shoes, yep. you washed them up, you powdered them, you put all your stuff on and you, you went out with the pacer. You right. went out with Prem. Yep. Like, okay, this is, this was your flat loop right. where you wanted to set a pace. Yep. So I knew that I'd bought some time. I bought basically 15 minutes because um, I was 30 seconds ahead of pace at that point. So I knew that I had some buffer, um, which to me was more like time I could spend in aid station. Um, going on that first loop, I knew I wanted Prem for that first loop because I knew that he would hold me to the pace. Like he wouldn't let me slack. Um, so we went round, you know, and there was some, some miles I was running 11 minute pace, other, minute, other miles I was running 13, but it was that first loop of loop two was right on track. But that's when I started to feel my knee go. So Just, so within that six miles. Within that six miles, something doesn't feel right with my left knee. Stopped at the end of that first loop. Because my, my plan had been to actually stop only once every two loops, so once every 11 miles, and and not waste time at the aid station if I didn't need to. But I stopped after that first loop because I something does not feel right. We started to go out on the second loop and like, I cannot put any running load on this. Like, I tried to go and then had to walk. Tried to go, had to walk. Like, I just couldn't load anything on it. Like, my knee would just crumple underneath me. So then I'm like, crap. And that's around mile 40 or so. So right, right around mile 40. And, Ugh. you know, I was... You know, my A goal was the 24-hour finish. And I was like, okay, I'm not going to be able to get that goal if I have to walk because this is supposed to be my fast loop. And quite honestly, I don't like flat trails. I like the ups and downs. I like the technical stuff. Like when I try to push a pace on a trail, it just feels hard to me because I feel like I should be running. It should feel like running on a road. So it's not necessarily the flatness is the change. The, the terrain the feel of the terrain so i don't like running flat trails necessarily um because i feel like i should be doing it faster well in running out to the quaker you're you're doing some grass yeah you know, and grass so. is like not great yeah. so yeah I, I told prem look i don't think i can run so he said but can you hike and I said yeah i can hike so then i'm looking at my watch and I'm like okay i'm i'm falling up on my pace but knowing that as long as I finish within an 18-minute pace, I can still get to my 100 miles uh, within the, the time. So I did the next two, three loops, four loops. And even though I wasn't running, when I looked at the time, or when I looked at my pace, I was only losing about five to six seconds per mile off the pace where I needed to be. Wow. So if I could, So you had a a brisk hike. I had going. a brisk hike and I had enough buffer because I'd ran a 14 minute mile f- uh you know for the first 40 mile oh yeah the first right. 
loop, I should say, the first right. 50K. So you're at least 15 miles in on this bad right. knee while you're thinking about So this. I have 12 loops. I could afford to lose five seconds per loop. Well, yeah. Right? Um, and I would still finish, like, well, well under the time. But once I got to about the second to last loop of loop two, it got dark and things were just going really slow. I like it hurt to walk at that point too. So then it was really slow. Um, I had borrowed, <laughs> I had borrowed poles. So it was funny. So one of my paces is Dave Padalano. I don't know if you know Dave. Um, so I, what I tried to do before the race was at least run one loop with each pacer so that they were familiar with the loop and I was familiar with them running the loop with me. See, preparation. Preparation. And while I, Dave was the last person I got the opportunity to run with, it was like the Wednesday before the race. Um, during that time, he said, oh, like, are you running with poles? And I said, well, I considered it. Other people mentioned it to me. But at this point in my training, I... I figured it would take me like six months to really learn how to use poles properly and run with poles. So like it's it's too close to the race for me to try something new. He brought them along anyway. And when I couldn't run anymore, they became a godsend. Yeah. Because it took all of that weight Takes off of my knee. Yeah. So I, I definitely, you know, as far as I got, I wouldn't have got without having poles with me. So yeah, so that last loop, my friend Keith was running with me. He had only um, learned loop two because he had planned to run the last two loops with me. Um, but we had to change things up with the paces because now I was way behind where people were expecting to be. So, you know, they figured it out in the end. So he ran one loop of loop two with me. And at that point I was like, okay, do I want to even try one loop of loop three if this is really slow? So I said, okay well i'll try it like people encouraged me it's like let's just try it so at this point it was oh so coming off of loop two i knew that i kind of had it in my mind that i wanted to be done with loop two by at least midnight because that would give me 12 hours to until i had to finish which meant two hours per loop on average for the last six loops 20 minute miles Right. So when by the time I finished loop two, it was like 12.30, 12.40. So I knew I was already behind schedule and I knew I was going into the hardest loop. So loop three doesn't have as much elevation, but it had steeper climbs and more importantly, steeper descents. On my knee, descents were, you know, terrible. They were really painful. So I couldn't go more than a snail's pace down any of these steep climbs. So I knew I was going to be extra slow. Like coming off of loop two, which is flat, if I couldn't maintain a two-hour loop on that, there's no way I could do that with loop three. So at that point, you know, I was a lot of doubt crept in my mind. And, you know, people were just saying, let's just go see how it goes. I did one loop, took like two and a half hours and at that point, I'm like, okay, like I've got to be done now. So that's when uh, Tracy came back in and said, okay, you have nine hours until the finish. Take a nap, you know, get some rest, see how you feel. And then we can just kind of take it as easy as you want. But you don't have to finish now. If 
because like you said, you know, it's the perseverance. That's mm-hmm. something that is strong with me. Mm-hmm. It's like, so I took a nap. It's four, like four in the morning. You know, I didn't think I'd ever use that hammock, <laughs> but right, I used yeah. that hammock. But it was freezing. Yeah. Like there was a breeze that came from it. That, like it wasn't a tent they had. It was a canopy. So, you know, um, luckily Tracy had like a fleece and a blanket. So I was wrapped up warm and I was really comfortable <laughs> under oh. that. I can tell you, like I didn't want, yeah, she woke were, me up at 4.30. It's like, okay, Clem, like this is the time were, to get up. You were going like, to sleep, not yeah, taking a nap. I was like, well, I don't know <laughs> if I slept. Like I may have got five minutes yeah, at most. Because, you know, there's still people milling around and, you know, I'm still like not in a restful state. But I needed to take a break. So I was shivering getting up. Um, but she wrapped me up. I, I brought like long sleeves and a jacket and stuff like that. So you just you got to get moving. And then once you get moving, you'll be warmer and you'll be fine. So we went out there and like this literally like the slowest I've ever walked in my life. Like taking one step at a time and being very, very deliberate about every single step. By the time... Was that just tired and no energy or was the knee still really throbbing? It was both. Yeah. So then we were about a mile or so in and then it's like 5.30, the sun comes up. So now I'm in the woods and I'm like, oh, it's another day. And it's like, okay, I feel like this is painful, but it's not something that's stopping me. Like it's not excruciating pain that I can't take another step. So then we keep going, we keep going. It's slow going, but I'm getting more mojo back. And I honestly believe that if there wasn't a cutoff at noon, I would have just kept going until I got to 100 miles. If you would have did your own 100 miles. If I did my own 100 mile <laughs> and I wasn't set on getting a belt buckle to say that I finished it, then I, I, I would have gone on. Like I, I'm pretty confident that I could have finished like it might have taken me till midnight on Sunday night. Yeah. But I definitely had the resolve to So finish. you didn't you didn't end up getting you didn't end up dropping. You ended up getting cut off. I got cut off. Like I, I finished that second loop of loop three. So I had a, another twenty two miles to go. Um or there or thereabouts. Um but I only had three hours left. That last loop took four and a half hours. That's that's a little bit longer than I think you would have even envisioned if you would have said, okay, what if this goes totally sideways? Right. How long would a loop take me? I don't think you would have came up with four and a half hours. No. So, I mean, I would have done it, but there was no point in doing it at that point. So I ended up, you know, I, I stopped, you know, packed up my stuff, but I hung out till the end because I wanted to cheer on like the, the people who were going to get yeah. to the end. And honestly, though, there there's better ways to walk a hundred miles, right? <laughs> other than, other than looping around Menden, right? So if you're going to walk a hundred miles, you can think of something really cool to do. That's true. But I have an affinity now <laughs> for that course. I haven't done any of it. I haven't oh. been back there since. Yeah. But, um, maybe you have a fond memory and not an affinity. Well, yeah. <laughs> like I, I know it now. And for all of the challenges that I faced, I did really enjoy it. Mm-hmm. I enjoyed being out with the people. You know, you came out. Ellie came out. Like, that was a, a real highlight of my day. My wife came out. That's also a highlight. I should yeah. have been She was too. there when we were there. Right, exactly. So, <laughs> like, my wife doesn't, you know, 
um, engage with any of the running stuff that I do. So to see her there with my running friends was like this collision of two worlds, <laughs> yeah. like right there. What's funny is my wife comes out to only a few races and each time we were at Mighty Mosquito, she comes out and brings the kids and hangs okay. out. And she's like, we're at Menden and we're hanging out in yeah. the woods at a park with everybody. It's great, you know, so. Yeah, I wasn't sure if my wife was going to come out. I wasn't sure if my son was going to come out. So it was nice to see them there and it definitely gave me a lift, definitely gave me a lift you know, all the people who came out to support me, like, I, um, you know, I couldn't say nicer things, you know, about what people do for each other in this community. It's pretty cool. It is. And something about these, there's also something about the emotional state you, you, the emotional state you can get yourself to. Yes. With other people's there's, there's this like shared vulnerability mm -hmm. that happens in these bigger events that, you just, uh, I feel like you can get too used to it and you can start to expect it in other places <laughs> in the world and get these harsh reality well, thrust upon you. I mean, that's an interesting point because like you say, you know, when you're doing something that it requires a lot of physical, um, you know, energy, it kind of takes away the energy you have to be guarded about your emotions kind of to your point. Mm -hmm. yeah, so it, an, it does break way. down barriers. And I remember, you know, when I was out there on the course with my paces, we had some really, really good deep discussions about some, some very personal things mm -hmm. that you wouldn't like, even with the same people, you wouldn't casually go and talk to them about. You're not doing that over burgers. At no, five guys, no. You know, so there is, yeah, there's a lot to be said for something like yeah. that. And it, and that's what I mean when I feel like, you can start to expect that in other places in life and you just are not, you're not getting it at Come Home Depot. Come talk to me. Yeah, like you're I not getting it at, I want to say. You're not getting it at Home Depot, you know? <laughs> like, man, I'm really just, I need to find the right bolt. I just, I just, I'm searching for it. And they're like, yeah, we keep searching. Yeah, right. <laughs> but yeah, there is that thing where you can, you can share and have things shared with you that are, uh, totally comfortable in the moment at the time. And it doesn't feel awkward later because you know what you went through and you know, you volunteered those things and you had that conversation. Right. And um, I think that's why running friends tend to be uh, different around each other. Right. You know, like around their other friends, you know, Oh, they're, they're running friends. Yeah. Right. <laughs> they're going to tell you about things or not, you know right. what, but yeah, so that's cool that you got that, you got that hundred miler experience mm -hmm. sort of on your own terms with your people yeah. in a, in a local environment setting, right. you know? Um, so you think you're going to go back for it again? So I got to, was it 78.75 or, or like ish. That. Yeah. So ish. I, I asked, uh, Shay afterwards, um, you know, what was the furthest distance that people went who didn't finish? And unfortunately, I think the data got lost, so I wasn't able to kind of find it out. But I think I have to believe that that was the furthest. Like, I got the furthest. So I didn't come DFL, <laughs> but I got the furthest of people who didn't finish. Okay. Um, but yeah, no, I. It, it was overall a really, really life-changing experience. And not just the race itself, but, you know, preparing for it and setting this goal and, and just being out there. I don't know if I'm going to go back and run Mosquito, the 100 mile the next year. I might do the relay 
because that looked like fun. So you mentioned about the relay runners who you see out there. And I thought, you know, I, I knew a lot of them. And I thought, it'll be really nice to see my friends out on the trail. At the time, I'm like, these people like are running like, you know, they just, <laughs> you know, started yesterday. Like, Blazing by like, you. Yeah. And like, and they're, you know, and they're saying, oh, Clem, you're looking good. It's like, it's like shut up. Yeah. <laughs> just like, leave me alone. Yeah. You're, you're like Frodo carrying the ring. <laughs> yeah, <of> right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, but no, I mean, it's, uh, I, I would like to run, run. Yeah, that course. Oh, I, I've, I did the first 40 miles as a solo, um, intentionally, but I've done the relay, mm-hmm. um, you know, uh, is it, we had a fun little partnership sort of between me, uh, the podcast and blue foundation. We yep. did the Rio pod racers. Okay. And I had, um, some of the, uh, everybody else on the team was one of the people from the podcast and then, and then, right, me. right. Uh, and so we got to go run that uh, twice, you know, as like a, a legit team. When, yeah. And Matt Bertrand made us actual shirts that <laughs> I matched. I saw that, and, yeah. Um, and it was super fun to actually go out. And the first year, I mean, we're racing all these high school kids. I think Blue Foundation made like an effort to go recruit all the high school across country <laughs> yeah, kids. Right. And we're racing these kids like <laughs> half our age. And <laughs> I mean, but it was super fun because yeah. you are doing... You're doing at our pace. We were doing a loop maybe once every five hours, mm-hmm. um, four and a half to five hours, and then in the meantime, you're hanging out at a race, right? You know, like yeah. And, and that's every, so and that's the nice thing about like the loops is not necessarily the loops themselves, but the fact that you always come back to the same point and everyone is there. Yeah, right. So you see everyone there every yep. single time you come through. Yeah, like when you're out on a point to point or an back or any other kind of of course design. You may see people only once. Yeah. Right. Yep. And, and um, I never, before I actually saw Mind the Ducks and was at Mind the Ducks for a, a substantial amount of time. Yeah. I thought that was a <laughs> right. dumb idea. Yeah. <laughs> You're going to run around a one mile piece of cement in the park. Right. For 12 hours. No, that's not at Mm-mm. all what you're doing. You're running. And everything around you is happening. Right. There's all, everybody's tents. Everybody's got different setups. Everybody's got different stuff. People are coming and going from the tent. You're meeting those other runners at those tents. You're stopping by their tent on your way to your tent. You're, you know, like it's, it's this amazing, like you can't describe it to anybody that hasn't seen it. I can say all the things about it and you can be like, yeah, mine, the ducks is great. And, somebody's going to be listening. That's like, that still sounds miserable. <laughs> You're right. But it's, it's, there's something about it, right? Mm-hmm. There is that, it's that shared experience. And then it's what everybody else is bringing to the event, right. you know? Yeah. It, and that's what makes it so unique because every person is unique, right? Yeah. So every race is different because yeah. it depends. It's not just the course. It's not just, you know, this and that. It's the people who do it. Mm-hmm. And what, make the race. Yeah, and what they're contributing to it, what they're what they're contributing that adds to the pie, you know. Right. So yeah, I mean it's a it's a silly, weird thing, but looped races, as much as I love a point to point race, and mm-hmm. don't get me wrong, I love point but a looped race has its own charm as well. I mean, and it's in a very weird because it, it it can be. I mean, I think I still think of the twenty four hour track record. Yeah. On an actual track. Right. Boof. 
But again, I'm sure that's very similar to those people that do it. So like Mind the Ducks and Mighty Mosquito, they have their they have their thing. Or like a treadmill hundred miler. Well, seeing that one, you never leave the place to come back to it. (laughs) (laughs) Unless somebody is painting on the treadmill as it goes behind you, you're not seeing anything different. Well, there's there's a guy, uh, Mike. Mike Wardian. Oh no, actually, I was thinking Mike. Mike Mike, locally here, who's done a hundred mile on a treadmill. Man, he also did uh, Beast of Burden. Oh, okay. So he's used to doing these things that to me, mentally, like I have no idea how you figure out oh. how to do that. I thought you were going to say Mike Wardian, who did a hundred miler on a cruise ship on a treadmill. I, I saw that, yeah. <laughs> Which is a little <laughs> different. Still, you know, different strokes for different folks, I right. guess. But so, but do you think you'll, you'll attempt a different hundred miler? I think that's definitely on the cards. So when I, so I came off of Mosquito and um, I wanted to help Shay because Shay was running Twisted and Twisted was three mile three three weeks later and I was like okay my knee how do I get from this point to being able to pace Shay even if it's like the last six miles like what is that going to look like so I um kind of took the first week after the race off to recover my knee got better things hurt less still wasn't able to run like I tried doing a four mile run like the week after and didn't work then I started to actually do some like indoor biking like I have a a recumbent bike inside my house which I don't think I've been on in like four five years I don't think I know anybody that has a recumbent trainer (laughs) (laughs) that's what I have so amazing so I like so I'm like, oh, I need to, I know I need to get some mobility back in my legs. So let me just kind of like cycle them around a little bit. So I did that for three or four days, then tried running again. I was like, okay, it hurts a little less. But more importantly, I realized it wasn't my knee that was hurting, but it was my quads because I could press my quads and identify where it was causing a reaction in my knee. So I knew if I could stretch or foam roll or work on my quads, whatever I needed to do to that, I would get back to a point where I can run again. And it wasn't a long-term damage issue. So, you know, I gradually just kind of build up more strength that way. Um, I wanted to kind of let Shay know where I was at in case, you know, she wanted to go find someone else. Um and I, you know, I ran with her the week before, just did five miles in, um, on the Crescent Trail and I felt okay. And I was like, okay, if I feel okay doing like, uh, a 12, 13 minute pace run at that point where I'm going to pick her up, it's, she's going to be in 58 miles. She's just going to, and you're going up Mount Washington. So she's just going to be hiking. Right. So I figured I can hike. I'm good enough to hike. So I committed to it. I showed up on the day. And um, when Shay came in, ultimately I was waiting for her at Urbana. And I was waiting for, for three hours and I still managed to be not ready <laughs> when she came in. Because what I didn't realize was that Olga had picked her up as a pacer. Uh-huh. And Olga apparently wasn't even supposed to be there that day. Now, Olga, Olga was supposed to be somewhere else. And they met each other 
at the lab. Right. And Shay was like, Olga, you're here. And Olga was <laughs> like, yeah. She's like, I wish I would have known. I would have asked you to pace. And Olga's like, I have shoes. <laughs> <laughs> right. So then, so she came in and I know that Shay paced Olga at Western States. Um, and I knew Olga had, I'd never met Olga, but I knew she had to be pretty badass to do Western States. She has an intensity about her. Right. And I heard that and felt that in person <laughs> at Urbana because I, oh, I heard, it was like, where is her pacer? <laughs> and I'm like, I'm standing over here because uh, Jake Chard was there and I was just kind of chatting with him, not realizing how close she was to coming in. So then I had to like zip up my pack, get my stuff. And, you know, I was, I was literally chasing after her because she was running across the road to get to the foot of the hill. She had some, uh, she had some goals. Well, I didn't realize where she was on that and how close that was. So I was all discombobulated because like I'm following after I'm supposed to be pacing her. So then we get to the hill and, you know, things kind of even out. Um, but I messed up because I didn't start my watch. So I didn't know exactly where we were. And I didn't know. The only, th- the only thing that I had was the knowledge that she had to be at the end by this time. And I could tell by my watch what time it was. So I didn't know how far we had to go. I didn't know what the terrain was going to be like. I've never been on that course before. And I'm like, okay, I just check back with Shay. Do you want to run? Do you want to walk? You know, even up on the top of the hill, I was surprised by how much mud there was. It was a very, very muddy day. And, you know, there were sections that were completely unrunnable. And you just had to kind of slog through those. It's in the dark. I don't know where I'm going. But we just have to go. So we get to the point. It's like 20 minutes before 11. And we were just chatting. And I said, kind of get a sense for what her goals were, her ABC goals. And I said, look. There's 20 minutes left. I don't know where we are. I don't know how far we are from the finish. But if you want to go for this, I'll go with you. You know, and if we have to run, we have to run, even though I'm not sure if I can run on my knee. So she said, let's go. So so we go. Yeah. And I remember, so Ellie, I was really expecting to see Ellie out there and I was going to cheer for Ellie. Ellie had sent me this challenge which was to kind of learn the lyrics to this song so that i could sing it to her as she as i high-fived her going through <laughs> that's so ellie. right so ellie obviously you know she had her challenge she wasn't able to kind of get through to that point so but i had this song queued up on my phone when she, and i had it like all set up on repeat and everything like that so when we when shay was like let's go and i was trying to think okay i i need to have something to kind of motivate and make this fun light and let's just go so like let me play some music at this point it's dark i'm holding my poles actually not my poles i borrowed poles from hannah rockwell um i've got them in one hand i didn't have time to kind of pack them up and then use two fingers or two hands, thumbs, to kind of search for the right music. I just have this one song, and it's <laughs> on repeat. So I just pressed play. Ugh. And then we just, like, listened to it for the last 10 minutes as we're going down the switchbacks, <laughs> and everyone down at the bottom of the hill can hear us as well as see the lights come out. So, like, they're yelling at us. We're yelling as we go down. It was, like, the most amazing finish to a race you know, we get across, you know, I let her go in front of me so she can go through the, um, the arch. 
And um, she finishes with three minutes to spare. Yeah, three minutes. And it's just like that, like it wasn't my race, but that's the most amazing end to a race I've ever witnessed. Pretty jazzed up, right? And the fact that I was part of that was just amazing. You know, Well, you were lit up like some <laughs> sort of weird UFO from <laughs> outer space. I like, like having my lights. You had all the lights. You had somebody else's lights. You had other people's lights. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. So, um you know, just that, that last six miles experience. And I, you know, I've been out there since, you know, maybe noon I drove down and and like I I jumped from aid station to aid station. So I saw like the highs and the lows, you know, um, I was at, um, uh, what's the, where the last, where the crew comes in, what's the aid station? Um, The Trails Rock aid station. Oh, that's Bud Valley. Bud Valley. Yeah. So I was there and I'd actually been to the one before it, which... Patch Road or the lab? I was at Patch because that's where I saw Hannah because Hannah was volunteering there. And I saw people come through and they were the last people who were coming through before the cutoff. So they were sending people out from Patch even as they knew they kind of didn't have enough to get through, but they wanted people, if they were going to drop, not to drop out. Yeah, patch, you, but can, they wanted, you can drop out. Patch. Right. And they wanted to drop at Bud Valley because at least the crew would be there, you know, it'd be, it'd be more support for them there. So I drove down from patch to Bud Valley, you know, and I saw this group of people that, or I was looking for the group of people that I saw come through and none of them came through or very few of them came through and it was getting very close to the cutoff. So I saw all kinds of emotions as yeah. people realized they weren't going to be able to finish their day. Um, you know, on the one hand, you had people like Mickey, who always has a smile on her face. I swear, like, she's the, the happiest runner <laughs> out there. Yeah. And she's like, oh, you know, I didn't make it, but I still had a fun time. And then on the other hand, there was some woman who I didn't know who sat down next to me and was just bawling her eyes out because it was like the intense that's emotion right. and feeling that's there you put all of you into that race and you know so i saw all of that and then i saw you know the amazing finish that shay had and i just thought at the end of this like i'm running this race (laughs) next year like there is nothing that's going to stop me from running this race next year so there's a long way to say i'm not going to do mosquito because i want to run twisted and i know there are people like Cruz who did both and you know, Cruz is an amazing, amazing person. Cruz is a, a different cut. Yeah, completely. Like I so don't you're know. You're gonna run like Twisted it. Branch next year. Yeah. All right. That's a hell of a goal. It is. It's, and I know it, it's not gonna be easy. Well, and it's a you know, it's about as hard as your average hundred miler. Mm-hmm. So um I I don't think it's a poor substitute for your oh, no, hundred no, mile goal. But then, <laughs> you know, you know, and I was listening to, you know, what you'd you know, your interview with tom oh and thinking you know the three of them got into western off the back of twisted from the previous year isn't that bonkers i know but that's you know that's the (laughs) dream right (laughs) so i was like okay well if i finish twisted and i get in under the time then i can qualify and i get to western what if what if twisted becomes the the magical western race where you know but i mean that's the thing it's like and then you think back four years ago, I'd never run a 5K. Right? Yeah, and and let alone like the desire 
to even to think about a hundred miles. Right. So, you know, you're definitely uh different, a little bit changed, <laughs> you know. So what's the what's the fall got for you? What are you gonna finish up with? Uh a quick little fall marathon or something? Yeah. So because I didn't meet my goal oh, in, you are. in April, I am actually gonna go so I'm I'm running Philly. Okay. Um my original thought was to run wine glass, but I knew a bunch of people were going down to Philly. I found out a bunch of people were going down there. Um, so that gave me like an extra month to kind of train for that. I definitely want to do it right this time. So um, I went to see my PT and actually um, she referred me to someone else who's also a running coach, um, which is, you know, kind of unique. You know, having a running coach is also a DPT. So she, my goal is to have someone look out for me and where I'm at and not necessarily just write a plan and say stick to this plan so she's looking at what my condition is you know what injuries I have you know working with me so that I can get to the point when I start the race in the best condition that I could be right right because I it's kind of this has come out I have a tendency to overdo things mm. and then sabotage myself so my goal is to not sabotage myself and be in the best position to run the best race that I can when that comes around I'm also working with a nutritionist so I'm taking care of that aspect of it so I'm really intentionally trying to do this the best way that I can and just look at achieving the potential that's there um, you know, I know I'm never going to qualify for Boston. So like that ship has sailed a long time. But I also know that, you know, given what I've been able to do with my shorter distance races, a four hour marathon probably isn't the best that I can do. So I want to get to a point where I can achieve, you know, what's possible for me and then say I can I never have to run another road marathon again and just stick to the trails after that. There you go. <laughs> so, so there you go. So yeah, so that's my that's my full um, kind of goal. Obviously, you know, it looks like I'm at sixteen hundred miles for the year right now. So I'm easily gonna um, meet my distance goal for the year. So you, I was going that that was gonna be my closing question. You think you're easily going to meet twenty twenty one, and you're at sixteen hundred. Okay, so you're looking at 170 miles a month? Yeah. So, you know, if I could take the whole month of December off, that would be really nice. <laughs> but You have a tendency to overdo things. <laughs> right. Yeah. No, I, you know, I'll, I'll continue to run no matter what that is. Um, but actually, no, so in the spirit of giving back, you know, what's next beyond that is um, I mentioned earlier that I've been talking with Jonathan about trying to do some things for the community. So there's a charity that I um, I would really like to uh, involve my running passion with being able to raise money for that charity. And um, I might try my hand at race directing <laughs> or even like, you know, designing a, a yeah, you know, it's pretty straightforward. It's just like a 5k or something like that. Um, but that's kind of where I think, like, that's an opportunity there that combines something I love with something that, you know, is very meaningful to me, you know, deeply. Um, so, yeah, so looking forward to that challenge as well. 
That's uh yeah, you're gonna run the whole the whole thing. Yeah. You you volunteer, you run, you pace. You it's a lot. Yeah. And you know, yeah. and you know, I've seen, you know, what goes into it. But that that's helpful, right? And you know, having, you know, Jonathan and other people who are supportive of that, um, again, it, it just goes to show what this community's about. Yeah. And uh, you know, why I love it here. Yeah, I'll be happy to tell everybody on the podcast all about it once you figure it all <laughs> sure. out, you know? Yeah. That'd be fun. Come uh, come, drop some money in the hat and go run. Mm-hmm. That'd be pretty fun. Absolutely. Especially on whatever your weird, twisted engineering brain is going <laughs> to think up of for Well, i, I got to make it easy enough for people to, other than me, to want <laughs> to do it, right? Yeah. Well, uh, that's a... Uh, it's been a heck of a four and a half years, hasn't it? It has, yeah. But I'm, you know, I'm really excited because, you know, the, the possibilities, you know, are limitless. And the more I talk to people, the more things I see. You know, I have friends from back home who they do destination marathons. Like, that's all they do. Mm-hmm. Like, they go all around the world. Like, I'd love to do the Spartathlon at one point, you know, and, you know, UTMB, you know, who knows, right? Um, <laughs> all of these things are on the table for me. Um, and to think, again, you know, where I was four years ago and someone would say, you're going to do what? Well, that's what they say. You got you got young legs. You only got four years of running in them. <laughs> <laughs> so. I, do have, I do have young legs and I, fingers crossed, have a lot of running ahead of me. Whew, that was fun, wasn't it? Clem certainly has some grit and uh, some stubbornness. And with his, let's say, predilection for detail, I think he'll get that hundred sooner rather than later. Twisted Branch is a perfect stepping stone for that sort of thing, and I think he has the right inspiration and motivation and support crew for it. I'll definitely be excited to see what he does with it all. And if you're interested in his progress, swing by Rochester Running Company and uh, come run with us. As I mentioned at the start, be sure to check out the episode show notes for links to many of the topics in the episode, like Chrissy Mail's book, Running Your First Ultra, and Jen Malik's podcast episode, wherein she famously pushed me over the edge for Oil Creek 100K. Yeah, there was that. Uh, additionally, there are links to everything Rio related that I talked about in the intro, like the podcast homepage and the message board and Strava group and Patreon page. And again, thank you to all of this month's Patreon supporters. Your continued financial support helps me keep improving this podcast. I see you definitely. So thank you. If you look forward to this podcast each week, consider becoming a supporter check out the podcast homepage and click the Patreon banner. Find a link in the show notes. Any support is really, truly appreciated. I'm always interested in your comments and feedback on the show, even if I don't say it every episode, which I think I'm saying it every episode again now. So that's great. I would love to hear feedback. Drop me a line at chris at runninginsideoutpodcast.com and let me know your thoughts. Thank you all for listening, subscribing, and telling your friends. Thanks for sharing your stories and getting out there to create more stories. Until next episode, be thankful for what you've been given, be proud of what you've achieved, and let go of what you've lost. See you out there.